welcome, Derangers. You are listening to Deranged De Jure, the podcast that usually brings you two deranged lawyers with discussing their deranged obsessions. But this time, it's just the one deranged lawyer, me, Pisha, while Raven is away in Costa Rica. So I have the pleasure of being joined by a guest host, my buddy Jackson. Jackson, say hello. What's up, everybody? Hello, hello. <laughs> I am so happy you're here because I know you're pretty deranged yourself, so you should have some interesting things to say. Agreed, and this podcast needed a white guy, and it was, oh, it was about time. So. Yeah. Yeah, not enough white Glad guys. Glad to be here. Happy to be here representing white men. <laughs> thank you. We we all collectively thank you as society. Um, so today we are going to be talking about deranged emerging issues in the world of AI, artificial intelligence. And we'll get into that in a minute, but I thought... We should start by getting to know you a little bit better. Um, all right. You know, all these derangers know quite a bit about me. They've had all this time to get to know me. And so it's your turn. It is your turn, Jackson. Right. And what we're going to do is we're going to play a game. Okay. <laughs> you in? I'm in. All Good. right. So first, I need you to give me a greeting. A just a general greeting? Yeah, just think of any greeting. Top of the morning to you, you know. This is working well. Okay, now I need a name. A person's name? Yeah. Place, the name of a place? A person? A person. Ava. How about that? Okay. An adjective. Hmm. And now I need to know what your favorite school subject was in the first grade. Not geography. That's for sure. Not geography. Grade. Not math. I guess English, probably. Okay. Writing, one of those. A place. New York City. State. A U.S. state. New Mexico. Plural farm animal. Sheep. Is sheep both singular and plural? It works in this case. I like it. I'll add an S if you want me to, just so we're clear. I don't think sheep doesn't sound right, though. I think it really sheep. doesn't. Okay. You have All right. We'll stick with sheep. Multiple sheep. sheep. Okay. Right? I think it works in both. I like it. Okay. Now I need a verb ending in ing. Running. Okay, another one. Blading. Plural noun. People. <laughs> Verb ending with ed. Mm. Ending with ed. Gated. A noun. Mm -hmm. Skateboard. Oh, man. Whatever. Okay, adjective. Um. <laughs> Dirty. All right, a food. Pizza. It's like a Mad Lib. Yep, and this is the last one. Oh boy. A year. Oh, I like decades, but if a year, we'll go 
94. Okay. All right. So everyone, this is word for word verbatim the biography that Jackson sent me before the show. Oh boy. Top of the morning to you. My name is Jackson, but I like to go by Ava. I got a fast degree in English from the University of New York City in New Mexico. Go sheep! <laughs> in my spare time, I enjoy running and blading people. You got something to talk about here, Jackson? You like blading people? I'm a um, barber in my spare oh, time. Oh, that kind of blading. Okay. All right. A fun fact about me is that I skated on a skateboard after a sturdy pizza in the summer of 1994. That's so now we know everything about Not you. Untrue. None of that is untrue. I really was hoping you were going to say pooped and then the noun be baby so that you pooped on a baby after a sturdy pizza. That would have been great, but it's fine. Next time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's not the segment, you know. No, no, it's just about getting to know you. And now we know you like blading people. And the mascot of your university was sheep. Yeah. So thank you. There we go. That was fun. Yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, tell us something real about you. Something real. Be more specific. I mean, something. Real can mean a lot of things. Right, something real that you're willing to share with the general public, I guess. Something real I want to share with the general public. About you. How do we get to the essence of Jackson? Mm, therapy. <laughs> empathy. Mindfulness practices. Okay. But not chakras, you know. Oh, no. Fuck chakras. I don't know what that means. What chakras do to you? That was really aggressive. I don't know anything about chakras. I think there's one for the heart. Um, yeah. One for the butthole, probably. No? There's no butthole chakra? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't be. know. Should be. Well, now that we've talked about butthole chakras, I say we get into the deranged topic of the day. What do you say? That sounds good to me. Let's awesome. Awesome. So we are talking about AI, artificial intelligence. And, you know, just basic, what is AI? AI is the theory and development of computer systems capable of performing tasks that historically required human intelligence, such as recognizing speech, making decisions, or solving problems. Alan Turing was the first person to conduct substantial research in this field. Um, he called it machine intelligence. Anyways, artificial intelligence was founded as an academic discipline in 1956, but because computers really weren't a big deal then, they were very expensive, very bulky. Um, there wasn't a lot of exploration in this field until the invention of the internet. So the traditional goals of AI research include reasoning, knowledge representation, planning, learning, natural language processing, perception, and support for robotics. So basically, artificial intelligence is anything 
any computer or program or form, whatever, that, that uses data inputted in it to recognize patterns and do things that humans would usually do. So um, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, what you mentioned about Alan Turing actually ties into something I'm discuss later, uh, the Turing time. Ooh. In the film Ex Machina, um, they kind of make a film out of that. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't wait to hear about it. Um, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the basics of AI. How about you get a little more into some of the deranged details? Sure, yeah. So as going back to the 50s with Alan Turing, he invented what's called the Turing test. And it's basically a means of testing um, artificial intelligence and seeing if a human could distinguish between an artificial intelligence or not. Um, but I guess a more simple way, I guess, is trying to test the machine's ability to respond like a human. And in Ex Machina, um, there's this very rich um, like tech entrepreneur guy. He creates a whole AI bot. And um, his subject, this guy that he says won like a contest to spend a weekend with him out in the woods, um, this guy is aware that what he's talking to is a robot, but um, it's, enabled, it's able to um, mimic emotion such that um, he empathizes for it and treats it as a human regardless. So it's kind of, it violates it a little bit, but it's just an interesting thing um, that's still used today. And I was listening to before this, a podcast uh, by The Economist, and it was with um, this guy who is a uh, philosopher, writer, historian, and then someone in the AI in industry. And they were talking about, <clears throat> they were talking about AI and something about empathy, that there's some models, there's some AI models that can now mimic empathy. Um, I didn't have the time to look into that, um, but that's pretty, pretty interesting. And kind of what spurred me to want to come on and, and talk about this whole subject is I saw an article in Forbes about AI toys, and I just thought it was an interesting idea having a four-year-old niece um, that she could be playing with a, an AI toy and interacting with it um, like a person. And I think a lot of people have different feelings on that. Curious, um, your thoughts, thoughts on oh. that. Oh, we're going to get into it balls deep, if you will. Um, there's so many ethical considerations, societal considerations, especially introducing AI to a child. You're going to need that Turing test at some point. You know, is that child going to be able to distinguish from the empathy it feels for a robot as they do for humans? And so I could see mm. where there could be some consequences with a child not being able to make those kind of connections or making the connection too much. Like all of a sudden they're having these empathetic feelings for chairs or empathetic feelings for couches. Like, I don't know, other inanimate mm. objects. So I think it's pretty dangerous um, giving the power of empathy, which is just so it's sentient. It's not just human. It's what animals, it's what free-willed, free-thinking creatures have that computers don't, you know? It's what separates us. So there's concern there. That's what I think. I, just, I just think, though, think about, like, the single mother who doesn't have time to read with her kid at night or do timetables, something like that, do simple math, help them 
I don't know. I could see applications where it could be beneficial. I think. I think I'm a little more optimistic about it. And I was talking about a, with a classmate about this um, before this, and he was talking. Um, we we're talking about. He was talking about the hackability of machines and AI. But I mean, people are hackable too. I mean, algorithms. Right. You know, if you've seen the, uh, I think is it the Social Dilemma? I believe is the the film it's a documentary. Basically, how al algorithms, you know, are hacking people's, you know, consciousness and hacking their thoughts and I don't know. I think people are hackable too, so I don't know that that is a um, necessarily um, as concerning. Like, I don't know that that's necessarily a um, definitive point on which uh, you could throw AI out the window. And I just think, you know, if you think about like self-driving cars, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of jobs and a lot of industries are going to go that way anyways. And I mean, you know, before Uber, I think, you know, five, 10 years before to say that you would be getting in a stranger's car to get a ride regularly. I mean, I don't, people didn't see that coming. So I don't know, you know. Right. I mean, you, we I use our pocket computer to summon a stranger in their vehicle to pick us up. It's a very different world than what we were faced with as children. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, there's, I think with any technology, with anything that, humans can use to benefit their lives everything should be done in moderation and we're going to talk about this more um when we get into some of my topics about you know the creation of art by ai at what point is ai not artificial and it is in fact human intelligence so i think being very careful about the distinction between a computer algorithm and artificial intelligence versus human you know being able to distinguish between the two being able to distinguish between what is ai generated and what is truth um is important to hmm. have and these are skills that we need to have to adapt to this new environment just inundated with technology and the spread of misinformation and information in general you're consuming so much you have to be able to tell what's real and what's not so i think like with anything with alcohol with you know running <laughs> you can do it too much you know and you can i think ai can go too far and it can be overutilized but definitely, you know, for the single working mom who's like, I'm exhausted, I need to go to bed, it shouldn't replace parenting, but it should allow her reprieve to take a nap every now and then. I mean, people use schools as a way to replace parenting. And I mean, you know, there's only one teacher. If you have AI teachers or AI teaching aids, it could give someone more one-on-one -on -one time. It's just interesting. Um, to think about. And one thing I wanted to um, bring up in regards to what you were saying, um, and I guess maybe shift topics just a little bit, because uh, from what I understand, the last writer's strike, a big part of that was what they were going to do with AI. If they, if they, you come in one time and they take, you know, imagery of you so they can, you know, they have your voice, they have, you know, like a projected image of you, like a 3D image of like, like the general in Star Wars, how they had him, he was largely like 3D generated and you could tell, but it was subtle. You know what I mean? And I think right. things are going to get blurry, like with deep fakes and stuff. I think um, distinguishing truth, um, or I guess what you could say, objective truth and being what a human says versus what a machine says will be harder to do over time. Right.
Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I think a lot of the tech and AI development companies are um, really focusing on safety protocols and making sure that these machines don't go too far. Like they're given their set of tasks, they stay within their tasks and they don't get bigger than that because that's when I think it snowballs out of control. Yeah, and the economist interview that I was watching, they were talking about, yeah, that we still will have the ability to place constraints upon AI, regardless of how complex it gets and feeling reassured by that. Um, they were talking, though, in that um, in that interview, something I hadn't thought about, they were talking about um, the risk to democracy and government if you have mass unemployment as a result of automation taking over you know, what we consider more advanced jobs today, like being an attorney, for instance. Um, and that was something I hadn't thought about because they were talking about, and I think, I mean, the, the person's obviously going to extreme, but he was talking about um, the 20% year-over-year unemployment for a few years and how that led to Hitler's rise to power. So it's just interesting um, to think. They were also talking, too, in the article, article about the, just the value of intelligence and the, um, the destruction, we as humans being the most intelligent, you know, species on Earth, um, the destruction we've caused and, and whether intelligence is, is even a good thing or not, I thought was also interesting. Um, yeah. And when you talk, when you talk about AI taking jobs, like I, the first thing I think about are those self-checkout uh, cashier, you know, terminals at grocery stores. I think about that. And in a way, I am okay with AI taking those jobs because it creates a more skilled workforce, if that makes sense. Like maybe the cashier's job is taken, but now we've created a job for someone who fixes the machine when it, you know, freaks out. We've created a job for someone who comes and services these machines or on a regular basis. The point is that we may be losing jobs on a lower level, but it creates jobs that are more technical. So, so I think of it as creating more technical workforce, but this Forbes article you're mentioning, I think we read the same article and um, it said that AI has been able to successfully pass the bar exam that I studied and worked so hard to take. And that got me a little concerned because I had never, like you said, considered AI taking these higher level jobs that require more human processes, you know, um, being able to interact and think on a dime. You, you don't have it programmed into you. You might have to reach outside your programming. You know, AI can't do that. So, I, but it concerned me to hear that that AI was successfully and accurately answering health questions that a doctor would ask and that it's passing the bar exam. So it's not just these lower level jobs being taken, it's higher level. And when you think about mass unemployment where the workforce from the lowest, um, you know, at the most lowest requirements and prerequisites to the highest most technical jobs ever, they're all suffering losses because of AI. Oh yeah, that could create some serious unrest.
Yeah, and I think it's also interesting to think about, too, um, you know, we talk about distribution of resources and access to information. And, you know, there's it's something we talk about, Internet access. People argue should be a universal right. I certainly think so. Um, right now, you do have to have a certain amount of income level to have Internet access. So I think another um, thing that scares me is, is disparity in the access to AI services that you could have if you're rich versus if you're not. Um, like say you're getting better AI tutors at a, you know, a private school versus, a, you know, magnet school versus like a public school. So I think to me, it raises questions too of even just like in terms of things that can help you with doing, um, you know, not necessarily jobs taking from you. I, I still think that there could be a disparity in terms of access to that. And I think that that's also um, something to think about and consider because I, I imagine um, it will it'll continue to be a thing. You know, oh, absolutely. Access to resources. Oh, oh, yeah. They're becoming scarcer and scarcer with not just the rising temperatures um, and the extinction of local flora and fauna. It's just, um, you know, there's a lot going on. And now we also have to worry about robots taking over. So thanks for that, Elon Musk or whoever is responsible. Yeah, and I, don't know if you ever, <laughs> and I don't know if you ever um, heard, but Elon Musk was working on something called Neuralink, and you could insert oh, yeah. it in your brain. Yeah. And it makes me think of that, like, again, like, if you could afford to have, like, you know, right now you have to have a lot of money to be able to go to medical school or take out an enormous amount of loans. Um, someone who couldn't afford, like, disparate access to a ship that gives you medical knowledge and rich people maybe being able to access those ships and regular people not. The flip side is the FDA recently approved Elon Musk testing Neuralink on humans. He, he has been given the power to implant microchips into U.S. citizens for testing. Like, if that doesn't freak you out, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't want access to that personally. And like all of the, you know, deep state conspiracy QAnon folk out there, they already think we're chipped. So they're not going to fall for that stuff. But it, it's definitely concerning that some people have access to these things and others don't. We deal with this in the justice system all the time and being able to afford legal representation. Some people right. mm -hmm. can't and they get public defenders. Not saying public defenders aren't good attorneys, but their caseloads are very different than um, private criminal attorneys. And so they have to deal with so much more. Things can slip through the cracks, you know? And so anytime there is a disproportionate um, effect on certain groups, it's, it's concerning. It does not lend itself to a more democratic society. Yeah, agreed. So with that, I'll let you move on to doomsday scenarios since we're already basically there. Right. We're you know. talking about the doom. And um, you, you started us off. Like, it's going to start with civil unrest relating to the loss of jobs as opposed to what we all imagine in our head is, you know, robots just coming to life and our TVs taking over. And no, it's not going to be like that. <laughs> That's not what the, the doomsday is actually going to look like. There's been some recent studies on what an AI doomsday might look like. 
And so in the summer of 2023, more than 300 industry leaders published a letter warning AI could lead to human extinction and should be considered with the seriousness of pandemics and nuclear war. So that's not great. Um, <laughs> and essentially this letter said that tech companies have engaged in some kind of AI arms race where faster, more powerful systems emerge in a competitive market. And there's concern about it snowballing out of control and the right safety and protections not being in place um, so that these systems become too powerful. So there's less concern, like I mentioned, that AI will go rogue and have some kind of malevolent goals. Rather, the danger is from something much more simple, which is that people may program AI to do harmful things, or we end up causing harm by integrating inherently inaccurate AI systems into more and more domains of society. That's a quote from Jessica Newman, who is the director of Berkeley's AI Security Initiative. So AI has the capacity to destabilize society through spreading misinformation. This we saw during the 2016 election. Uh, Russia was manipulating Facebook data and creating posts with bots to spread misinformation. And this erodes the truth. Like we were talking about before with the little kid who is being read to having these real human moments within the computer, you know, are they going to be able to tell the truth or what is created by computer? And so that's the concern. The other concern is that AI would have the capacity to manipulate human users. For example, large language models might unintentionally persuade people to do harm. This has already happened in some really sad cases where chatbots have convinced the person talking to them to commit suicide. It's not, it's very sad. And it didn't mean to, and I don't know if you've tried chatting with any chatbots recently, but if you mention anything about being sad or depressed, it right away is like, oh my God, if you're feeling sad and depressed, call the suicide hotline. Oh my God, oh my God, don't do this. Um, and I think that is a result of all of these unintentional persuasions from AI um, to do harm for the people to do right. harm that they normally wouldn't do. So kind of scary. I was not aware. When 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 was the, when did that occur? When did this start occurring? So the chatbots, um, I believe it was like in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. Might have been twenty twenty one, where um, there was a case in Europe, and then there was a case in the U.S. where they were convinced the human users were convinced to do some kind of harm that they may not have done if it weren't for the chatbot unintentionally persuading them to do it. And the reason why it was unintentional is you can, you can give a data set to a computer and it can learn, but it only learns within the parameters you give it. So if it's not prepared to deal with a situation that you haven't prepared it for, then it's not, it's going to use what it has available to it. And so mm. 
the AI is meant to be helpful and useful and um, an encouraging force for humans. So it resorts back to persuasion. Um, and that's how some people who are particularly vulnerable might be manipulated. Very scary. I mean, it's not so much going rogue in a sentient sense. It's very unintentional, but it's basically just the human creators of the AI not fully preparing it for every situation it might encounter. So every scenario. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so the other way that AI has the capacity to destabilize society is through the way that you said, which was taking human jobs. And like I said, when I first started researching this, I was thinking like cashiers and like really basic jobs that don't require a lot of education and degrees and things like this. But no, it's even really highly technical jobs. And in fact, they think 85 million jobs worldwide will be replaced by AI by 2025. That's oh. a lot of jobs. And something to tie off that in the, this, that economist uh, interview I was discussing, um, the historian and author, his concern was the, um, the disparate, the variance in what that affects. So he brought up like a textile maker in Guatemala and Pakistan, textile makers in those countries and say that um, automation, you know, adversely affects that country as a whole, like certain countries, their whole economy is automated versus other countries where maybe less of the economy, maybe half or maybe only 30% or 20%, for instance. Um, I thought that was something I hadn't thought of either in, in un, going back to disparity and unequal resources, um, unequal um, detriments in terms of the jobs that are affected in countries, cities, and states and how, how that that uh, that varying effect could hurt uh, certain countries and places uh, much more than others. I thought is something interesting that I hadn't considered, and really a really good good point. I thought as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a really good theory for the destabilization of society in general. You know, the disparate access to resources, uh, food, whether it be food or water, whatever it is. It's just these are all things that lead to political unrest and the destabilization of society when the gap between the very privileged and the very not privileged um, is so wide. They have nothing in common anymore. And so, I mean, that's the glue that holds us all together is that we feel like we have something in common with the rest of each other. We're all human. But when someone's getting more access, more uh, wealth, more things than another group, it's going to widen that gap and create unrest. And then society will fall. There's going to be some sort of revolution or overthrow. I agree. Because, yeah, I think just going back to that point, I just think, you know, so-called developing nations um, like a textile manufacturer or jobs where they do just very basic manual labor. Um, I think you could argue you're at much higher risk of being automated um, because those jobs are easier to automate, so it'd be less costly to do so than higher functioning jobs, even if they have the capability. Um, I could see, you know, um, lower paying jobs, jobs that are easier to automate um, going first. So I um, wonder how AI would affect um, like 
exploited labor and sweatshop labor because when I think about replaceable jobs, I that's think what about, I'm talking about. Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a piece of me that's like, these people need a different job then for sure. I don't want to take the only job they have away. But if we're playing unlivable wages and sweatshop labor, maybe it should be automated so that the exploitative work practices aren't taking place. Mm. But, but I guess the problem then becomes, are there other jobs available for these people whose jobs have been replaced? At the yeah, and it, it brings up yeah the, the the theory of universal basic income. Will we reach a place um, at which you know that's a necessity because there are not just simply not enough jobs um, for people to be able to the mass population to be able to make a living late, you know? Yeah. And you know I think um, something that was brought up in that Economist interview as well, going back to that, um, was that the goal of AI and automation is to such that we so that we don't have to work. Um, but again, you need something like universal basic income and how's that paid for? It's all, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's not a simple uh, solution. Right. Obviously, there's no silver bullet. Um, no, no, there's, there's no black and white with AI. There's so much gray area. Um, I, you know, I, I thought it was interesting thinking about the doomsday scenarios. And when I realized they weren't talking about the Terminator. They were talking about like the collapse of society and the loss of jobs and whatnot. It, you know, it kind of clarified the danger for me and it made it feel more real, a little less science fiction, a little more real possibly. And so when I was looking into the doomsday prepping, you're going to love this. So um, first of all, we've got a famous AI doomsday prepper. His name is Sam Altman. He and Elon Musk in 2015 founded OpenAI, which is a nonprofit with the goal of ensuring AI doesn't wipe out humans. So this guy has some pretty strong ideas about what could happen if AI were to go too far. And he said, I try not to think about it too much, um, at a board meeting in 2016, but I have guns, gold, potassium, iodide, antibiotics, batteries, water, gas masks from the Israeli Defense Force, and a big patch of land in Big Sur I can fly to. Uh, <laughs> well, I how I don't. At first, when I read that, I was like, "How's that going to fight robots?" And it was because I was still thinking about the doomsday scenario where AI takes over as rogue robots, you know, and that's not what it's going to be like. He's right. You really are going to need these things that are going to be useful upon the collapse of society. That's what he means when he sees AI um, causing a doomsday. And so the tips for doomsday prepping, not just um, the kind that might be caused by AI, but any doomsday. <laughs> the first tip, I got this from survival, what's it called? Survivallife.com. So I'm pretty sure it's accurate. But tip oh, number one, <laughs> tip number one says prepping doesn't have to be extreme. Um, thanks for the tip. Cool. I 
prepping always kind of seems extreme for me. It's called prepping. You're preparing for the end. So because what but, he was doing wasn't extreme at all. Right. No, not at <laughs> all. And big Sur to fly to. No, no. And and I think what they were talking about was it doesn't have to be like. I don't know. I read it and it made sense at the time, but it doesn't have to be this big ordeal. Like it could be as simple as getting a bunch of hand sanitizer, you know, it doesn't have to be anything else but practical. And I was like, okay, whatever makes you feel better about your crazy paranoia article writer. <laughs> um, number two is self-sufficiency is vital. So this means like having a farm, being able to get your own resources. Uh, next, be cautious and don't get caught in the hysteria. Early in the fall and collapse of society, there is a big rush for resources at stores and whatnot. You don't want to get caught up in that because people will shoot you and you'll die, is <laughs> what I took from that. So uh, tip number four is think long term. Think, you know, I, it's not going to get better in two weeks. It's never going to get better. So... Yeah. Um, tip five, prepping doesn't have to be a large task that is completed in one sitting. This kind of goes with the extreme thing, I think, where you can just pick up some food items here and there and store them away or get a rain barrel and start gathering rainwater. Just it doesn't have to be this big thing that you do all at once, spread it out over time. And then final tip is basic provisions are the most important things like food, medicine, clothing, shoes things like this. So now you're ready when AI causes the collapse of society. You're welcome. Thank you. Listeners, <laughs> thank you as well. Call in, let us know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are you ready for doomsday? Let's hear what your, your bug out plan is. So call in mm, listeners, I want to be right where the, yeah, I want to be right where the, the epicenter of the explosion happens. So I don't have to, live it out in walking dead post-apocalyptic fallout type scenario so very nihilist of I you don't really yeah yeah i'm okay with that yeah yeah you want to be there for the end if that's what we're looking at right i don't blame you it's got to be probably a really horrifying thing to watch and i don't have a lot of faith in my ability to survive without the internet and things. So I don't think I'd do well in, in the apocalypse. So, um, okay. So we've talked a little bit about doomsday brought on by AI. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I looked into with AI was specifically generative AI and the emerging yeah. legal issues. So yeah, generative AI, is AI capable of generating text, images, or other data using generative models, often in response to prompts? Generative AI models learn the patterns and structure of their input training data and then generate new data that has similar characteristics. These are constructed by applying unsupervised or self-supervised machine learning to a data set. This is kind of the whole idea giving very human qualities to a computer giving it the ability to create new text new images new art 
things like this. Mm -hmm. And so as you can imagine, because it's a computer, there are some legal issues that kind of result. Um, just a little tell. bit. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, a little bit about generative AI so that people might be a little more familiarized with it. Large language models uh, or LLMs are mm -hmm. chatbots like ChatGPT. So if you think about, okay. you know, typing into um, Facebook Meta, for example, you know, to asking it to write something for you, it, it will use whatever data and language database it has to create text based on the prompt. There's also text to image art systems like Dali, D-A-L-L-E, like Wally, but Dolly. Oh, Dolly. Dolly. It's probably Dolly. There we go. Um, that one's interesting to me because I love art. And Salvador art Dolly. Right? Maybe yeah. think of that. <gasps> oh, my Dolly. God. That's the connection. Dolly, Salvador, yeah. Salvador Dolly. I love what that. An, what if there's an AI Banksy to, oh. you know, what if we had an AI Banksy? That'd be pretty cool, right? What if Banksy is AI? Has anyone, like, confirmed <laughs> Banksy's never, identity? No one, yeah, no one's met him, I don't think. Or yeah, her. We don't say. want to assume, assume Banksy's gender. But, yeah, you're right. Fair. Probably guy, because only guys have enough time to do all the things he does. Uh, so anyways, um, the, the Dolly art system was really interesting to me because I love art. It's so interesting to me. The human emotion and thought and passion that is captured in art is always impressed me. And so thinking about a computer having that capability, it, it makes me wonder if the art is tainted. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. But there's other generative AI that has audio, video, code, et cetera, output. So it just depends on what its data set is. Generative AI is still far from reaching the benchmark of general human intelligence as of 2023, but there has been a huge boom in development since 2020. So there's been this huge um, effort in the world of a generative AI to, like you said, make life easier for us by doing human jobs. Um, it just kind of blurs things a little when it comes to things that should be human created, like things that are written, things that are drawn, thing, you know, sung, all of these things that are just so human. If we start delegating these tasks to generative AI, are we going to have some kind of problem? So uh, this is, I'm fascinated by this. I looked into it um, and the international laws and regulations governing generative AI. So in the United States, a group of companies, including OpenAI, Alphabet, and Meta signed a voluntary agreement with the White House in July 2023 to watermark AI generated content. Basically it's just like okay. putting a little yeah, a it's a little stamp in the bottom corner. Exactly. Corner or something like that. Right. So people can distinguish what mm -hmm. is AI content and what isn't. So in October 2023, Executive Order 14110 applied the Defense Production Act 
to require all U.S. companies to report information to the federal government when training large AI models. Basically, they just want to make sure information and confidentiality, privacy, everything is protected here. I um, Just one thing I want to bring up as a counterpoint, um, rather than an us versus them way to look at it, what about a collaborative or cooperative way to look at it? Because something I hadn't thought of until um, when you were talking is I went to a comedy show um, in the town that we live in, and the premise of the show was that comedians would do their set and someone on the side, the owner of the club, would be typing words into an AI art generator. And they would have essentially an AI piece of art created based on the subjects and topics they bring up in their stand-up set. Um, so I don't know, it could, I, I guess I could see as a counterpoint a, a situation where it's more of a collaborative rather than a human versus AI creation, um, a collaboration of, because again, if you look at AI as like tools, you'll get instruments like guitars as a tool, a means of expression. Um, what if we were to look at AI the same way? It's just another tool um, for us to express ourselves in a, in a new way. Right. And I think maintaining control is the most important part and, and delegating work without delegating the human aspects of the task, if that makes sense. Like, for example, you talk about a guitar being a tool, but a guitar can't play music without a human. And so my concern with AI is if AI is generating music without a human, are we blurring the lines between what's real music and what's not real music? What is human and what is just a bunch of gibberish that has no passion or meaning or anything? Like, could you imagine if AI wrote like songs and in the future there was some sort of music theory class where they're like, what do you think? What do you think they were really feeling? when they wrote this lyric and the answer is it was a fucking robot it wasn't feeling anything it thought of some words in its database and it put it out there and it got a really good response so i mean it's i think you're right collaboration is key and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into more of the specifics of american law um but you're right there needs to be a collaboration we need to include humans at all times because when you take away the human, you're left with AI and you don't want it to be too human. That's the fear, right? A lot of the, a lot of countries have been already taking steps to ensure that AI generated content is discernible. So, you know, like with the United States watermarking AI generated content in the European Union, the proposed Artificial Intelligence Act includes requirements to disclose copyrighted material used to train the generative, generative AI systems and to label any AI generated output as such. So the point is to still give credit to the copyrighted material that is used to train these systems. These systems have to have some material that they base their supervised and unsupervised task management, you know what I mean, their decision making on. And so I think one step is to do this so that it doesn't get out of control where the, the public cannot tell what is AI generated versus what is human created. 
Um, and then you're right, the collaboration, including humans throughout the process is key. We'll talk about that. I keep alluding to it, but I really want to talk about China real quick. <laughs> Get to it. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so in China, the interim measures for the management of generative AI services introduced by the Cyberspace Administration of China regulates any public-facing generative AI. It includes requirements to watermark generated images or videos. They have regulations on training data and label quality. They have restrictions on personal data collection and a guideline that AI must, quote, adhere to socialist core values. I don't know what that means. It probably just means whatever the hell whoever is in charge of China wants it to mean because yeah, yeah. probably I'd imagine <laughs> right. So. They're like, uh, I don't like this. It's not socialist. <laughs> so so yeah, there's there's some effort globally to at least make AI generated content distinguishable. Um, but to talk more specifically about American laws and regulations, I want to talk, I want to focus more on the intellectual property law area. So things like copyrights and stuff like that. Um, I, I actually, I don't know if it was a pleasure, but I had the opportunity to edit and site check a textbook on intellectual property law. So, I'm not an expert or anything, but I know some stuff. <laughs> so, so I definitely honed in on this area, the IP area, and the issues that are emerging because of generative AI. Copyright laws are especially affected. So first of all, training AI models with copyrighted content has been an issue. Proponents of using the copyrighted content as a data set, um, they argue that it's fair use. And the fair use exception to um, using copyrighted content, it really hinges on whether it's transformative or not. So if it's just hmm. like a copy and paste versus a copy and change and rearrange and transform it into something new, then it's fair use. Um, if, however, you have copied it word for word, that fair use exception does not apply. So proponents of training AI models with copyrighted content argue that the copyrighted content used to train the models is not regurgitated word for word. It is used in conjunction with all of the other data sets that the machine has been given, and it synthesizes it into something new. So it may use this information to learn these words or to learn these theories or these patterns or structures, but it's going to create something completely new in the, in the end. And so that's the argument that proponents make. Um, there's still a bunch of lawsuits in this area. The big one is Getty Images, who I'm sure you're familiar with. They're like yeah. the largest mm -hmm. stock, yeah, largest stock photo image 
database ever. And mm. so th they're actually suing Stability AI and Stability AI allegedly used, and I, I don't think allegedly, I think they admittedly used images that are copyrighted through Getty to train their um, stability diffusion, which is an art generation or a text to image generation um, model. So, mm -hmm. so their argument, Stability AI's argument is that it's fair use. They may be using Getty Images image of a horse to create new content, but they're not spitting out that same image of the horse in the same way that the Getty image is. So, I mean, there's arguments on mm -hmm. both sides because arguably AI, the generative AI will take that picture of the horse from Getty images, just cut out the picture of the horse and use it in a different image. It's substantially the same. So is it really transformative? I don't know. Um, oh, there's brings up the definition of transformative. Right, what that right. Really means. Mm, exactly. So this is being litigated quite a bit right now, not just with text to image models, but also uh, chatbots and chatbots using um, like song lyrics to train it. So it's just, it's really interesting stuff. Um, another area that copyright laws are affected is how copyrights apply to AI generated content. Like this is so easy. If a human were to write something, that person owns the copyright. They created it. The question gets a little blurry when it's AI generated content. Who owns the copyright? The person who created the data set? The person who created the machine? You know, it's it becomes a little blurry. So the United States Copyright Office has ruled that works created by artificial intelligence without any human input cannot be copyrighted because they lack human authorship. So this gets to what you were talking about with the collaboration between AI as a tool and, and humans and their human interaction energy. together. Exactly. And I, you know, I like the idea of collaboration. The only problem with collaboration that I have is it kind of personifies AI a little bit, right? Because you collaborate mm. with another person, you collaborate mm. with something else. But if you're using it as a tool, then um, I, I like that feels better to me. Collaborate just feels very human. Yeah, and but I mean, I, we can't pretend though that it, I mean, if those systems are um, you know sophisticated enough to collaborate with, I mean, that's where the line between human and machine gets blurry enough. Definitely, that's kind of at the core of kind of everything we're talking about to a, to a different degree, you know. Exactly, exactly. So, so I, I guess another way to say it is. If AI is used for the drafting process, like a first draft or a second draft, as opposed to the creation of a final product, it's more likely to be protected. So if it's used as a right. tool, like right. you said, then it's more likely to be protected under copyright law. If it's a final product that's created by AI, it's less likely to be protected. So that's yeah. one way they've been kind of dealing with it. However, there's been 
really interesting implications for musical artists. This uh, generative AI has brought in this question of intellectual property royalty and licensing agreements between artists and you know, distributors and also fair compensation for artists. A really great example is, I don't know if you heard about this. I didn't hear about this. I was reading and I was like, what, did this really happen? So someone needs to fact check this and tell me this happened. But okay. according to the internet, it did. So, so there was this song that supposedly was a collab between Drake and The Weeknd. It was called Heart on My Sleeve. Okay. And it was discovered to be 100% AI generated. Not just the oh. lyrics, but the sounds of their voices. Drake never sang anything. Weekend never sang anything. It was 100% AI generated. So uh, the problem arose when it became wildly popular and generated millions of plays before it was removed from streaming services. No one got money for that. Drake and The Weeknd didn't get money for that, but their voices, their likeness was used to market this 100% AI generated song. And it could be argued that they lost out on profits as a result. So um, there's this huge push, as we've already talked about, with distinguishing AI generated content from human content. It's only fair if you do not immediately identify that heart on my sleeve is an AI generated song using the likenesses of Drake and the weekend, then it unfairly uses them to profit. If that makes sense. And right. And that's yeah. something I think I heard about like with the rider strike, like um, without this, alluded to it a little bit, like um, if you're an extra and they come in, they take a full body scan of you and they get your voice and then they pay you one time or they pay you X amount. They have the leverage because they already have your likeness. And that's where it gets gets tricky because who's to say what's fair compensation for using your likeness? And does it become like streaming where you're you're making such a small amount off use of, of you even if it was like a background extra for instance. Um yeah, it's it's uh when did, how how quickly and how easily it can go off the rails is is always always a concern for sure. Well, and as is anything, really, I mean, any new technology that develops, there's a concern of the snowball effect. And which ha what happens if this technology falls in the wrong hands, it gets used for evil or whatever? There's always that risk. Um, and, oh, yeah, hang on. I was looking at um, the writer's strike because I was reading about that, too. You're, you were absolutely, I loved that you brought that up earlier in the episode because that was a huge part of the strike and I didn't realize it. I thought it was mostly about um, compensing the writers at a rate that was more proportional to those of the actors, you know, like a normal strike. But it really was focused around these really big AI issues about how much um, screenwriting could be AI created, whatever. It was so wild. I wish I could find what it was. There were like three very big 
things that the writers were pushing for, and it all related to generative AI. And I had no idea that's what the strike was about. So fascinating stuff. It really does call into question, what is art? Is art exclusively human made? I've seen these mm. TikToks of mm. elephants who paint, you know, are they mm -hmm. artists? Or is it just a, a strictly human quality, you know? Is this something that we can delegate to computers? Or is it something that doesn't make life better, it makes it less human? Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is AI, when created to make life easier for us to enjoy other aspects of life, when it's replacing the enjoyable aspects of life, <laughs> Right, Have we gone right. too far? Those are my my big concerns about AI. I I've learned so much about it. I know nothing about technology, so I just want everyone to pat me on the back for learning all this stuff. Hell yeah! <laughs> and so, I mean, we've talked about all these depressing things related to AI. I heard you have some really positive AI things to tell us to end the episode. Yeah, so the last thing we're going to discuss is, is sex robots, the use <laughs> of AI for pleasure, for personal sex. There we pleasure. go. Um, you know, I think that that uh, has its appeal. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with the female comedian Whitney Cummings, but she actually had like a robot in one of her last specials. And a lot of people ended up buying robots that looked like her after that, which is kind of weird. And um, I think, you know, Will is clearly an interest in ancestral robots. Wow. You can get, because when she got a robot, like you can have it super, I'm remembering now, when you have, you can have a sex robot made for you and you can have really intricate details on how you want it designed. Let me see if I can share my screen here. So, so you can, like, fully customize about. your sex robot? Yeah. Yeah, check this out. And she made one for the purposes of a stand-up set. In her new Netflix stand-up special, Can I Touch It? Cummings takes easy dinner jokes and delivers them slightly. It's not really the best thing. But here's her sex robot. Um, with You can see the face here. I mean, it looks almost just like her. I mean, it's... It's, wow. it's pretty interesting. Let's see if I can just see a picture. Of Very it. creepy that she's um, just like casually holding her head, her sex robot head in her hand. Yeah, and she has it tell jokes, like she um, jokes with it on on stage during the special. And but she's, she's giving it the mic here because she's having it um, tell jokes. And she was talking wow. about how creepy and how detailed you can have um, a robot of yourself you know, made. Because if you look, it looks pretty, you know, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty, you know, pretty similar. It's better than your average uh, Madame Tussauds wax creation. So ladies, watch out, you know, you better... Um, They're taking our right. jobs! They're, gonna take They're taking jobs. our vagina's jobs! You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, watch out. Wow. You know, okay, well, I was hoping for... Turn, you know? <laughs> I thought this was going to be good news. At first, I was like, good, I can get behind sex robots. Like, this is the good AI news that I needed. But now that you've put it in the way that you have, sir. Well, it's good for white guys. I didn't say <laughs> who it was good for. 
Oh my God. Again, well, you're, thank the, goodness. you're the Pakistani textile maker in this scenario, unfortunately. Doesn't oh feel as God. good now, does it? You were getting all Sucks. warm and cozy about collaboration, and now. It look sucks at how, so bad being the Pakistani textile maker. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, so basically, what you're telling me is that sex robots, you can like, how much do these things cost? No idea. It's been so long since I heard her talk about it. I, I have to imagine it was awfully expensive. I mean, she's pretty rich. You know, she's yeah. very successful. So I would have to imagine they are not cheap at all. You know. Interesting. And so you can customize them, not just in appearance, but in terms of like their AI output? Not sure. I'm not sure. I know that you can get the appearance really detailed, but this is something worth worth looking into more. Um, because as we're talking, there's so many things I'd forgotten about, um, you know, like AI, like the AI stand-up sets, AI generating an art piece. Combining imagery of topics a comedian spoken about. Um, yeah, gosh, I'll have to look into that more. Yeah, um, and now know, they're replacing sex. Yeah, you know, call in. Let us know how you feel. You know, call in, call in. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, you guys need so a hotline, you know, I know we really do. Well, that's why I want to do lives more often, so people can throw their questions at me. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's on the agenda at some point. We're going to get more regular with that. Um, cool. but okay. So these sex robots, here's my next question. I'm sure okay. you don't have the answers to any of these, by the way. So feel free to make them up. Yeah. I'm not super prepared. For no, it's okay. You were not ready for these questions. questions. All right. Yeah. Okay. My next question. Do you program in the sex positions? I think, yeah, I think you could add, what if it's like a, like a music algorithm, you know, you want to mix tape with like, you know, BDSM, you know, foot fetish, Reverse whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Whatever positions, whatever fetishes you have, um, you know, okay. program it for exactly what you want, you know, and then why do you need another human being? You know I mean? Right. And then you don't even care if like the robot, you know, wants it. It's a robot. That's its job. It was specifically created for this reason. Oh, whoa. You don't have to make it come, you know? <laughs> robot rape, that. though. This brings up the robo question rape. of robot, robo-rape. Mm. We're going to have to look into it. More, the future holds some very interesting legal dilemmas. Yeah, you lawyers, you deranged DeJores have a lot of work. I know. By the way, I Googled DeJore. You guys, I don't think you ever defined it. I listened to the yeah, episode we did. his name change names i didn't hear you actually define it you just you guys went on a different tangents. oh so my god fresh listeners, maybe they've forgotten what these are okay means. well thank you daddy podcast for your advice um for those who don't remember when i did definitely tell you what de jure means <laughs> um de jure is latin for by law and for those who don't know, lawyers are obsessed with freaking Latin. They have all kinds of Latin phrases and shit. Mm. And so it means by law. And we thought that was great considering we're both lawyers. We like to kind of throw our legal knowledge in when we can. Um, and also, it made us think of soup du jour, like soup of the day. 
And so we were like deranged of the day. Maybe if people don't get the legal connection, they'll make the like association with of the day. So um, that's that's where we were going with it. But we wanted to honor our legal backgrounds and also our really fucked up brains. And soup as well. And soup. Soup Always soup. Soup is so important. Wow. Okay. Have we covered all of it? I think we've done it. I think we did the thing. We did the thing. We did this thing so good. I think Raven will be proud of us. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I mean, I guess that's it for this week. Join us next time, Derangers. Uh, Raven will be back from Costa Rica, but I can't remember what we decided we were going to talk about. So so stay tuned. We will let you know what that is when I know. And, and until next time, stay out of law school and the infirmaries, my friends. Bye. Remember to like and subscribe to Deranged DeJure on your favorite podcast platform and follow at deranged.dejure on all the major social media. Contact us by email at deranged.dejure at gmail.com. This has been a Raven Kink production.